So, you know, what I wondered was, okay, what can science tell us about raising good human beings? When a kid is bullied, if they aren't getting the message from their parent of, this is not your fault, you don't deserve this, they start to say to themselves, why is this happening to me? What did I do? What's wrong with me? Welcome to Stroller Coaster, the podcast that takes you on the wild ride of parenting that we're all on together. Created by Munchkin, the world's most loved baby brand. And you may be hearing a new voice. Hi, I'm Lynn Smith. I am so thrilled to be able to be here with you because we're all in this together, because we're all going through the same thing, because I have no idea what I'm doing, (laughs) and I'm hoping some of our experts can help me out. I am a former newscaster. I used to work at CNN Headline News, NBC News, and MSNBC, and it was great. Let me tell you, it was a lot of fun. I got to interview Motley Crue, Dolly Parton. I got to cook alongside Chef Morimoto. I got to fly a plane. It was great, but I wasn't able to be a present mom. And I made a career shift and a life shift moving from a big city to a small town and getting to meet a lot of great people on the way, like you, the listener. And so thrilled to still have the trusty sidekick, producer Justin, here with me. And Justin, I was really um, amazed and excited, by the way, because we got a little time to chat before we started the show, to learn that our paths have crossed back in the day. Uh, we worked at the same network. I was an anchor. You were on-air talent doing segments for a news show that I occasionally filled in on. And it was just so nice to, to hear a familiar past voice that um, now I get to work with personally. Stroller Coaster listeners, find the clip, (laughs) dig it up on the internet. We're out there somewhere, I bet. Uh, I wish that we would have known each other that. It would have made it a lot more fun. Um, We also have children the same age. Um, I have a three-year-old and a -a five-and-a-half-year-old, and so when we started talking about all of our, our different parenting experiences, it did tend to be a little bit different since I'm the boy mom to your girl dad. You might have um, some insight that you can just put on to me to help me to learn a little bit about that side. Yes, this is going to be uh, basically a, a, a head-to-head uh, parenting podcast. Uh, we're going to really um, <laughs> learn and and tell a lot uh, between the two of us. Oh, I can't wait. Let's get started. We have a really important first episode of this season. We are talking about bullying. As parents, this is on the forefront of all of our minds. It's the most important topic, I think, that a lot of us parents have to face. So we have experts with real information you need to know, plus an inspiring story about bullying. And if you stick around for a little bit, you'll win something. Or you might win something. We shall see. And a personal story here about bullying, which hit me in the gut, because it's just not something any of us want to admit, that maybe our kids might be the one who makes other kids feel bad. So I had a mom come up to me and say, can you talk to your son? He said something unkind to my daughter in class. And we talked it through, and it was a real opportunity. He didn't even realize it was hurtful. But it hurt someone's feelings, and that was important for me to explain to him. It doesn't matter. If you've hurt someone's feelings, here's how how you can fix it. We sat down, we wrote her a letter. We said, I'm sorry mm. your feelings were hurt and we're really happy that you're a friend. And so it sort of gave him the the lesson, but it also allowed him to understand this is not okay. I think that's, I mean, that is such a hard thing to hear from another parent. So I give you kudos mm-hmm. for calmly taking it in and uh, bringing it back. Because I, I do think like you have to sort of, 
it can't be just like, hey, stop saying, stop talking to that girl about that or whatever it is. You mm-hmm. have to really be like, here's why, like, and really paint the picture like you did. Yeah, and I would, I, w- I don't say I was cool, calm, and collected. My stomach dropped. Yeah. It really oh, did. I was like that punch in the gut where you're just like, oh. Yeah. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's it's one of these things that I think we don't want to accept that it can be our child. And it's just as important yeah. to have these conversations on, uh, you know, when it's happening to other people. I think that's because it's not it's not always it's not like your son is a now and forever bully. It's just a moment happened. No. And you have to be able to take it in and move on. He didn't even realize what he was doing was hurtful. It was like just a good starting off point to have the conversation. It's just why I'm really happy today to have some of the experts on to dig into this topic because I know we're all going through it. All of this really makes me wonder what makes a bully and then what do we do about it? So to answer that question, I'm going to talk to science journalist and author Melinda Wenner Moyer, whose book has a little bit of a racy title. So listen, if you have kids in the car right now, let's just turn down the volume a little bit as I say her book title. It's called How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes. She writes about her surprising research into bullying, and trust me, it's just as surprising as the title of her book. And then you're going to hear an inspiring story from Carrie Goldman. Her daughter's experience with bullying became a rallying point for people all around the world. And you're going to hear all about the shock when she went viral and how it completely changed their lives. And we'll hear from you, my favorite part, the stroller mail segment, because you're the reason that we're here. We want to hear from you. And we're going to bring it all home with a calming timeout for you. Trust me, I know you deserve it. So stay right here. We have so much ahead. When I first heard the title of Melinda Wenner-Moyer's book, I just knew I had to talk to her. It is How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes. A great goal, but she has the data to back it up. Melinda, thank you so much for being with us. This is such an important topic. Thank you so much for having me, Lynn. All right, first, can we just get to this book title? It made me hysterically laugh because it's what we're thinking in our head. We don't say it out loud. How did you land on this? (laughs) Okay. So the title was what actually came to me first. Um, It was a few years ago, and I was just generally feeling anxious and concerned about the bad behavior I felt like was kind of all around me um, with, you know, adults not treating each other very well. And um, I knew hate crime rates were going up and and bullying rates in schools as well were were increasing. And I was out to dinner with my husband. It was our anniversary. And I remember just turning to him at one point and out of nowhere blurting out, I should write a book called How to Raise Kids Who Aren't Assholes. <laughs> and and I looked at my husband and he looked at me and I was like, I think this is my book. I think I should do this. And the next day I emailed my agent and <laughs> now here we are. And like I said, it's all of us and what we are thinking in our head. It's just we haven't said it out loud yet. What actually classifies a child as someone who might be thought of as a bully? Like what makes someone that young? I mean, we're talking about, you know, five, six, seven years old. Yeah, you know, it's it's hard because we have to keep in mind that kids have very different brains from adults. And some of the things that we think that kids should be able to do, like we, we think, oh, they, they should know better than to act that way. They really honestly just don't have the skills and they, they don't have the, the brain power, the part of their brain that is responsible for, you know, planning and rational behavior and impulse control, all of which are, you know, really important for quote unquote good behavior. That part of the brain does not fully develop until people are 
25. So a lot of what we see as bad behavior in kids is just a reflection of the fact that they're little and their brains are still developing. And, you know, they, they also just haven't had the opportunity to learn a lot of our cultural and social norms. Um, so of course, they're going to be making mistakes. They're going to be, you know, breaking the rules and, and, and going beyond the boundaries that we set because they're still kind of figuring out how to do everything and how to behave in this, you know, very complicated world. And guess what? They're learning from us. That's what I learned from reading your book. <laughs> They're watching <laughs> us. They're mirroring us. And you have the data to back that up. So tell me about this. Yeah. So once I settled on writing the book, I decided to, you know, I'm a science journalist, so I tend to root everything in science. Um, I have a background in molecular biology, and I've been covering science and medicine for 15 years now. So, you know, what I wondered was, okay, what can science tell us about raising good human beings? So I immediately just went to the research. I, I know a bunch of databases that, that you can use to find published peer-reviewed studies on really any topic, including parenting and child development. So I just started hunting for studies on kind of what I thought was related to raising a good human being. So, you know, I started breaking it down by traits. Like, what do we know about what parents can do to raise kids who are generous and thoughtful and helpful? And what do we know about how honesty develops in kids and, and what kinds of things can shape that? And what do we know about racism and how that develops and sexism and how do we prevent those? And I just dug into hundreds of studies that I found in order to figure out, you know, here is essentially the scientific consensus on what we can do as parents to foster the traits that we want and and kind of eliminate the traits that we don't want. And so that's really what I wove into the book. Yeah, and what was really special for me as a parent was to see that I can have these conversations with my son, who's as young as five and a half years old, even through storytelling. You know, we do books every single night. And I, I think it's so important that you say, you need to have those conversations about what kind of emotions the characters may be feeling because those are the kind of conversations that all of a sudden they might start sharing some of the things that they're going through with you. And so taking the time to say, hey, how do you think the character is feeling in this moment? That's sort of like a kicking off point. Absolutely. So one of the big take homes of my book is that talking about feelings and letting your kids have their feelings, you know, even if they're not very positive feelings, that that's really, really important for the development of generous and compassionate behavior. And this might seem a little counterintuitive, like why would, you know, why would talking about feelings really make a difference? But it, it all has to do with developing emotional literacy skills and and what that does for kids when they're trying to think about other people and help other people. So if you think about a friend who is upset um, and you want to help them, you want to be a compassionate friend, you have to really be able to look at that friend and read their body language, read their facial expressions, and perceive what they're feeling and say, oh, you know, he's feeling sad or he's feeling hurt or he's feeling frustrated. And then you have to really be able to understand, well, what does that mean to feel sad or hurt or frustrated? What does that feel like? And when I feel like that, what makes me feel better? Reading to kids is a really wonderful time to, to pause and kind of talk about feelings because books are full of, you know, stories of characters and different things happening to them and, and these characters having different feelings in response to that. So it was stopping and saying, you know, how do you think that rabbit is feeling? Or what do you think that this made him feel like? 
Um, that can be really, really powerful. And there's actually research that, that shows that talking about feelings in the, in the context of book reading can be helpful. Um, there was one study done where researchers invited moms and their toddlers into the lab and they asked the moms to read a book to their toddlers. And they recorded how frequently the moms paused the reading to talk about feelings. And they assumed that, you know, the more moms did this in the lab, the more they probably did this at home too. And then in the second part of the experiment, researchers invited the uh, children individually into another room and had them play with a researcher. And the researcher would pretend to need help with something. So she would drop a pencil, for instance, and say, oh, I dropped my pencil and I can't reach it and I really wish I had it. Or um, or she would say, you know, I'm, I'm super cold. I wish I had that blanket across the room. And the researchers found that the toddlers whose moms talked about feelings in the first part of the experiment while reading books, those toddlers were much more likely to help the researcher who pretended to need help in the second part of the experiment. So that's a really, really powerful way to build this emotional literacy and compassionate behavior is by talking about feelings. All of this is so helpful when we can be there and we can swoop in and have those conversations. How do we know if this is going on at school, on the playground, if if our child is the one that's being bullied? What are the kinds of questions we need to be asking as parents or signs we need to be looking for? Yes, this is so important. And it is so hard sometimes to know what kids are experiencing at school. You know, they might not feel like they can talk about it. They might be ashamed of it. Um, so, you know, sometimes you can see the signs in in how they're doing in school, you know, um, if if they're having trouble, you know, they're if they're not getting good grades or even if, if they just don't want to go to school and they're acting sick and, you know, pretending to be sick so they don't have to go to school, that's a sign sometimes that there's something bad going on. Um, so it's really helpful and important to try to just talk to kids, you know, when they come home from school, be there, be able to listen, you know, just give them the opportunity to share. But I also think we have to be aware too that what I learned from the bullying research is that parents all too often think that their kids are possibly going to be bullied, but they never consider that their kids could engage in bullying. You know, we just think mm -hmm. our kids are awesome. So we also mm -hmm. have to realize that bullying is, it often looks different than we think it's going to. Um, there are kids who, you know, sometimes engage in bullying, but also sometimes are bullied. There's a, there's a spectrum of bullying. And there are kids who are perfectly great kids who engage in bullying sometimes, in part because they, they don't yet have the skills to recognize that what they're doing is hurtful. They, they lack the ability to put themselves in other people's shoes. And so with these kids too, just again, talking about feelings and doing what you said you do, you know, talking about, well, how do you think that makes another person feel? How do you, you know, how would you feel if this happened to you? And helping kids sort of put themselves in other kids' shoes can be a really powerful way to, you know, reduce the risk that your child will engage in bullying too. And you even have this example, because all of this is data-driven. This is not just, hey, I'm a great parent and this works. You have this doll experiment that proves that children really react to our behavior. Yes. Okay, so this is research from a while back, from the 1960s. It's called um, Social Learning Theory. And it's based in part on a series of experiments that involve this doll called a Bobo doll. I don't know why it's called a Bobo doll. Um, but so one of the experiments that's really powerful and well-known is that, okay, so researchers invited kids into a lab and 
they let kids watch an adult playing with this Bobo doll. And some of the kids watched this adult just hitting this doll. And another group of kids just saw this adult kind of playing nicely with the doll. And then in the next part of the experiment, researchers invited these kids individually into another room and made them feel frustrated. I think they did something like they said, oh, we're going to give you some candy. Would you like some candy? And then came back into the room and said, actually, we just ran out of candy. (laughs) So the kids were all (laughs) riled up and annoyed and mad. Mm -hmm. And then they put them in this room with a bunch of toys, including this Bobo doll and watched what the kids did. And they found that the kids who they were all annoyed, but the kids who had watched the adult beating up this Bobo doll, they also started beating up their Bobo doll. Whereas the kids who had not seen the adult being violent towards this doll, who saw the adult being, you know, just playing nicely with the doll, even though those kids were annoyed, they did not beat up this doll. So we know from that, that kids really do look to adults for understanding, you know, what's acceptable behavior, what's okay to do. And when they see adults being unkind, they think, oh, that's totally fine to do because this grown up just did that. So I'm going to do it too. All the more reason for you to have this book out now, as we've seen so much of that just percolate through our society. And I would imagine this has probably changed you a lot, too. Um, You've done a lot of research. And how has that shaped your style of parenting or even your style of how you discipline your children now? Yes. So first of all, it's really interesting because... I didn't immediately like turn into a super mom. I mean, I'm still not a super mom, but like I had this idea that, oh, none of us are, (laughs) right? No, no, there's no such thing as a perfect parent. I think that is like the number one message that I want to get out there. Um, But, you know, I read all this research. I talked to all these experts and I thought, well, I'm going to suddenly know how to handle everything. And there is this part of, I think so much of parenting is reactive and emotional. You know, kids sometimes push our buttons and, and it's also habitual. You know, we handle things the way we've always handled things, or maybe even the way our parents handled things with us. So it can take a long time to absorb new information and to sort of really see it play out in your parenting. So I just, I want to say that because I think it's important to be patient with yourself. But I will say that I I now feel like I, I try to have a lot more patience with my kids. Um, uh, for one thing, when my kids are upset, you know, I used to get frustrated and really try to tell my kids, like rescue my kids from their feelings and say, oh, don't, don't be upset. Don't cry. This isn't a big deal. You know, that kind of thing. And now with what I know about the importance of letting kids have emotions and experiencing them and um, talking about them, I I let kids have their feelings. I, I validate them instead of trying to eliminate them. And yeah, and then we talk about them a lot. So that's one big way that I think my parenting has changed. Um, I also, and this is related, I think, to what you were saying you do with your son in helping them take another child's perspective. I always am trying to tie my kids' choices and behaviors, especially maybe if I don't love them, with their effects on other people. So if they leave their Legos all over the floor, which they love to do, instead of just saying, like, please pick up your Legos, I will say, please pick up your Legos or else... I'm going to step on one and it's really going to hurt me. And so I'm always trying to go that extra step of not just asking them to do something or telling them not to do something, but rather tying that choice to, you know, what it does for to other people and how it affects other people. So kind of always trying to put my kids into this larger context, this larger whole of you're part of a family or you're part of a school or you're part of a community and what you do affects the other people in that community. This is such helpful information. And it's also, I think that we're the generation of parents that are really focused on 
not raising kids who are assholes, which is why this book is so important right now. We see what's happening out there. We see how social media is just decaying a lot of the principles that we all feel and believe we need to transfer onto our children. And so I think that being able to have those conversations now and here has just given me, I know as a parent, so much help and information, but it also gave me a little bit of permission to not always be perfect at it. That you said you scream at your kids. Sometimes I just had one of my dearest friends text me the other morning and she was just like parent confession I just lost it and I did this this and this and I just said to her I was like listen we've all been there just go take a walk go get a cup of coffee and I think that that's what's so important about this is that there is no perfect way to handle it it's when you're trying your best that's the best we can do absolutely I couldn't agree more Melinda thank you so much for being with us it's been so insightful thank you so much Lynn All right, Justin, I have to say I'm kind of hoping that adults take this advice as much as kids. Uh, I am. Uh, Just listening in on that interview, it's there's so many just things that are both intuitive and counterintuitive to take in there um, that I am going to strive. The idea of modeling our behavior and taking a second when you're reading a book to your kids and to talk about the characters, so smart. And what about the girls? I mean, have they experienced anything like this at school? Yeah, it's happening. And we are so sensitive to it as parents. Like on the playground, we're just like, oh, is, is she being left out? And she's not, she's encouraging another kid to come over. This is, it's all, we're like nature, uh, we're researchers just watching these wild animals interact. Um, it's it's emotional. <laughs> Well, you know now that it works. I mean, if you're modeling that behavior and if you're communicating with her, then it it does work. And that kindergarten isn't too young to start doing that. I have a um, parenting confession to make. You're going to think I'm absolutely insane, but a friend of mine here said that there's this manners camp that teaches kids all about manners, yes, but also kindness. And they talk about bullying because this is such a huge deal right now. And he came out of that manners camp and I was like, Miss Flo, will you raise my child? (laughs) Whatever you're doing in there, it is working. Wow. Every kid's favorite camp is manners (laughs) camp, I'm sure. Uh He is going to kill that's me. That's right, exactly. I mean, no, I think that's great. And I also think there's something about learning outside the home um, and amongst peers that really it goes further and faster, I think, with kids. So shouts to Manor, Manners Camp, I think. I really feel like all parents worry about their children being bullied. We just want to protect them. That's in our nature. We want to keep them from feeling bad. And when we hear about them being bullied, or even if we hear about them being a bully, because yes, that does happen, it makes us want to spring into action. And that's why I love this story that you're about to hear. It's about a mom that did just that with big time consequences. Here's our correspondent Fleece with the parenting story of the day. Carrie Goldman is a mother whose daughter, Katie, loves Star Wars. I remember when my oldest daughter was starting first grade at our local public school. She was a huge Star Wars fan. And it's important to understand why Star Wars was so important to her. We had adopted her. We had adopted Katie. And so she already doesn't look like us. And she's keenly aware of that. And I think it's very important to her to identify with mom and dad in other ways. And so she has a, like a keen interest in our interests. So daddy 
was a Star Wars fan and starting at age, you know, four, five, six, he was watching the original trilogy with her. And so she loved, Katie loved that she and daddy had this Star Wars, you know, father daughter bond. And she also liked Princess Leia, who's adopted like she is. So Star Wars had significance to her. As we were preparing for school to start, I took her to the store to buy her supplies and she made a beeline over to what was then the boys section. Um, and she picked out a Star Wars backpack, a Star Wars water bottle, you know, all of those things. She, she moved right past the Disney princesses and right past the pink section that had been basically marketed to girls. And we didn't really think anything of it. It was just, oh, Katie wants Star Wars. So school starts and she's going off to school and couple weeks in to the school year, one morning she starts rummaging around in the kitchen shortly before we leave. And I said, what you doing? And she said, I'm looking for a different water bottle. My water bottle's too small. And I thought that was strange, but I said, okay. And she picked out one that was pink with a butterfly on it. And I looked at it and I said, Katie, this water bottle's even smaller than your Star Wars water bottle. What's going on? You know, it sort of raised a red flag in me as a parent because it didn't make sense. And she started to cry. And she said that there was a group of boys who were following her at her locker and at lunch and telling her, girls can't like Star Wars. You know, girls aren't allowed to play with these things. You can't do this. And I said, how, you know, how long has this been going on? And she said, oh, you know, maybe a week, a couple weeks. But it was clear that she wanted to change her behavior to make it stop. Carrie took the revelation of her daughter being bullied and reached out for help using an arena she had right at her fingertips. And so I had a, a, I have a blog called Portrait of an Adoption. And I sat down to write a piece about it called Anti-Bullying Starts in the First Grade. And I wrote about how I knew these boys, these little boys, and individually, they're really nice kids. And when they get together in a group, kids are very susceptible to groupthink, to peer, you know, pressure to norms, to pressure to obey. And when the groupthink kicks in, a child who may individually play with Katie and accept her might go along with the crowd in that moment and say, girls can't like this. You can't, you can't do this. And the result, if a child is being intimidated or uh, threatened, one of the things that will happen and one of the things that a parent can look for is fear will develop. A child will want to avoid the place where the bullying is happening. And that's when we see kids say things like, I don't want to go to school or I don't want to go to football practice or I don't want to go to art class, wherever it's happening. So I wrote about this and basically shared my thought that we need to, to talk about these things at a young age and that we needed to not demonize kids who act as bullies because whereas it might be easy to think, oh, those, those mean little boys, they're terrible. They have terrible parents. How could they be this way? The reality is they're just little kids trying to reflect back what they're seeing in the culture. They go to many of the superstores, many of the large stores, and they see the boys section, the boys toys, and they're labeled like that. And they see the girls section and the girls 
toys and it's labeled like that. So I wrote an article about this and at the bottom I put, um, if there are any female Star Wars fans out there, can you drop Katie a line just to let her know she's not alone? It seemed like a simple request for a couple fans to reach out to her daughter, but Carrie had tapped into something much, much larger. And then I published it and I went to sleep. <laughs> and the next day I was sitting, waiting for Katie in her ballet class and I logged on to my article. I wanted to just, you know, check and see if anyone had written a comment to Katie. I think there had been like five or six comments the last time I checked from women who were like, hey, Katie, I'm a female Star Wars fan. And I couldn't log on. The site was down. And I didn't understand why the entire Chicago Tribune's site was down. I contacted the community manager and said, something's wrong with the site. And he's like, yeah, it's your post. <laughs> the story of Katie had just sort of made its way into the Twitter world. And it was retweeted by people like Felicia Day and Alyssa Milano and, you know, NASA and Lucasfilm. And <laughs> so it just exploded in a way that you cannot even imagine. I mean, it was very surreal. The response to Katie's story wasn't just about her. It resonated with a lot of people's personal journeys in a way that Carrie just didn't expect. Katie's story struck such a responsive chord in many adults. And it really goes to show you that teasing or taunting, you know, playground teasing, it's not just something you outgrow because I had 50-year-old men writing to me saying, I cried when I read about this because I remember being teased for carrying my lunchbox on the playground, you know, 35 years ago, 40 years ago. This viral moment didn't just help Katie deal with her bullying. It changed the course of Carrie's life. I realized that the issue of bullying was something I wanted to study more. And I, I decided to put together a proposal for a, a, a book that would explore bullying in our culture, a book that would look at who's being bullied, why are they being bullied, and what can we do to make it better? There's so much to do and say around bullying. It's been many years since Katie stepped into her class with her Star Wars water bottle, but that moment has had an effect on a lot of lives, including Katie's. So because Katie was young, you know, she, she was seven, she knew the story was big and we protected her a little bit from the extent of it. She didn't know it was like the trending story on CNN and trending on Twitter. May the force be with Katie was like trending on Twitter at one point. We didn't tell her that, but she also knew. And one of the things that came out of it was a website run by Jen Yates, who writes Cake Rex. She put together a hardcover book for Katie where she printed and bound together 3,000 of the comments that came in for Katie on the post. So it's just page after page of, hi, Katie, I'm a you know 63-year-old woman, and now I'm a doctor, and I was teased for Star Wars. And hi, Katie, I'm Katie Lucas. And like you, I was adopted and I love Star Wars and I was teased. So it's page after page, some from famous people, some from just everyday people who wrote to Katie and connected with her either because she's adopted or at the time she also wore a patch on her eye for amblyopia or because they were teased, any number of things. And uh, she keeps that book to this day in her room. She's 17 years old now and she still has that book on her shelf next to her bed. 
I think it's something she will have her entire life. When she feels most alone, it's a reminder to her that there are people out there who are your people. And I think that's really important for all kids, actually. Having been through the experience of having her daughter bullied, Carrie has some good advice for anyone dealing with bullying in their child's life. It is really, really hard to see your child rejected. It is like a personal rejection as a parent of something that is a piece of you. And so if you have a child being bullied, I think the two most important things are to continually tell your child, this is not your fault. You do not deserve this. You do not deserve to be mistreated. And I think it's important to tell yourself as the parent, this is not my fault and we are going to be okay. I think a lot of self-compassion because what happens is when a kid is bullied, if they aren't getting the message from their parent of this is not your fault, you don't deserve this, they start to say to themselves, why is this happening to me? What did I do? What's wrong with me? And you want to counteract that narrative. Carrie Goldman is the award-winning author of Bullied, What Every Parent, Teacher, and Kid Needs to Know About Ending the Cycle of Fear. Her blog, which first published her daughter's story, is called Portrait of an Adoption. Justin, the mama bear in me, wants to just put my big paws around her and say, I totally get it. I would do the same thing, and I think that's why she got the kind of response that she did. I mean, I just love that it just happened. Um, Mm -hmm. Like, to be able to just do something like that, reaching out and have the entire world respond, like, I feel like it's expanding your parenting to, like, the ultimate crowdsource uh, hug from the whole world. (laughs) Well, I think it's because all of us, at some point in our childhood, have experienced something about this. It's why it's such a big topic. It's why we wanted to start the season with it. I mean, I I can remember something that's happened to me. How about you? Oh, yeah. I definitely... Um, I was very shy growing up, um, hmm. uh, and so because of that, I definitely I had a bully in eighth grade that was like that was tough. And then, he, but he moved away at the end of eighth grade, so I had, I was saved by that. Hey, Justin, what do you think he's doing right now? Here you are hosting a podcast. He, he hosts <laughs> a rival probably... parenting podcast, actually. Uh, <laughs> that's pro bullying. It's awful. It's horrible. It's almost terrible. You know, I remember exactly where I was just sitting on the school bus and my maiden name was Markowski. Mm. And there was a kid that just always would say, Markowski, Markowski, you're a cow. And I know that's the thing is that these kinds of words, they just, they hurt for a long time. And you think about it for a long time, just to remember something from when you're six or seven years old. I I think it's a reminder to all of us that this is a topic we really have to talk about. Yeah. And it's so simple, like, Mm -hmm. but like you're saying, it affects you for the rest of your life. And you you go, so I feel like kids, when I was a kid and and kids that are kids now, you just, you internalize so much and it's so hard to, as a parent, to see it and to find out what's going on. It also makes me feel good to hear your story of, listen, you went through something really hard. I did too. We turned out okay, Justin, right? Look at us. Here we are. (laughs) We're living it up. I could be on the fence. (laughs) 
I love to be able to hear from all of you so that we can commiserate on the chaos of our lives and parenthood. Uh, it's Stroller Mail. We hear your stories, your questions, what's on your mind, things you think you failed at, but I can promise you, you're not the first one to. Uh, Justin, this is going to be fun. Let's do it. Mailbag time. What do we have today, Lynn? Yeah. So this one we have from Dana C. She said, my two-year-old daughter picked up my phone and took a picture of me in the shower. Oof. It's still on my phone, and I'm sure it's in the cloud somewhere. Have your kids ever done anything like that? Oh, Dana, I feel like wow. I want to get you one of those cloud scrubbing services. First off, Dana, delete that picture from your phone off the jump. What are you saving it for? Yeah, well, that's the problem with the cloud is that they like find the ghost version of it. You know, this particular thing, Dana, hasn't happened, although my children do pick up my phone all the time and take pictures. Um, it was a more public version of embarrassment. Um, it was, we were in the grocery store line and there was like a, you know, model on a magazine and she had a rather large chest, which for the record, mm. I do not have, but my son <laughs> pointed to it and looked at it and said to the woman, my mommy has those. And my head, I mean, she started laughing, but my head just sank um, after I thought, hey, thanks for comparing me to a supermodel, but it's not true. (laughs) What an observant child. Emphasize the positive. They always think of everything. If you have your own stroller mail story or question, just drop a comment. Even DM us on Instagram, at Munchkin Inc. We are giving away $50 Munchkin gift cards. The first 10 people to use the code kindness at munchkin.com get $50 off your purchase. Good luck. That's the show. We want to thank you for taking this ride with us. Also, thanks to our incredible guests, Melinda Wenner-Moyer and Carrie Goldman. Such an inspiration she was. And thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, tell your friends, tell your fellow parents, maybe the whole play group. Come on, let's listen together. We'd love to get the word out. Here at Stroller Coaster, we're all about community. So if you have a stroller mail story you'd like to share, or maybe a question, a topic you want to hear more of, don't hesitate to reach out to us at strollercoaster.com. Now, obviously, we all love Stroller Coaster, but Lynn, did you know that we have another podcast for kids right here in the same feed? And that's what's so fun. It's for kids. Exactly. They're it's for kids. Love this. It's for kids. It's a, It's called Stroller Coaster Storytime. It's our unique take on classic children's stories. It's not Jack and the Beanstalk. We have Fred and the Beanstalk. So fun. Check it out. Uh, it's right here in the same feed under bonus episodes. And now a moment just for you, a moment of calm and a timeout brought to you by Munchkin, who cares so much about the planet that they partner with organizations like IFAW, the International Fund for Animal Welfare. We learn a lot about animals through this organization, like the great horned owl, which did you know, lives in the North Woods. So that's where I want to take you for this wonderful moment of calm. Take some time and we'll see you next week on Stroller Coaster.